You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today, our entire episode is dedicated to Harry Potter, which is appropriate because when this episode is getting released, it's the day after Harry Potter's birthday. Happy 37th birthday, Harry. (laughs) (laughs) But before we talk about Harry Potter, let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what's been going on with you? I am obsessed with our new dehumidifier. This was a secondhand win. We have been struggling with the humidity since we moved to Indiana. Mm -hmm. It is not crazy dry in Austin, but it is not as humid as it is here in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And so last summer, we try not to run the air conditioning very often, but then things started to grow on our furniture. Mm. It was problematic. So then we started using the air conditioner a little bit more to get rid of that humidity. Yeah. Because it hasn't really been that hot here. It's been mostly in the 80s, which isn't bad and still cooling off in the evening. But it's that stickiness factor. That is what bothers me when I'm at home, too. Right. I don't mind being in the humidity outside. I don't mind when I'm riding my bike and I'm gross and sweaty. I really mind feeling sticky in my own house. (laughs) I sympathize with that. So I was reading about somebody who had a dehumidifier. And Neil and I have gone back and forth about this because dehumidifiers put off heat. Mm. So it's a question of whether we're getting a net benefit if we're taking out the humidity, if we're also adding heat to the house in the summer. Right. We decided that the benefits outweighed the costs and it's not putting out that much heat. It's not like a space heater at all. It just has warmish air coming out the top of it. Yeah. That day I looked on Craigslist and there was a dehumidifier of the same size that we wanted to buy. Oh my gosh. That was for sale. That's perfect. It was. So I went to go check it out and we brought it back home. Let's just say there are very few things I find more satisfying in my life right now than emptying the water bucket on the dehumidifier. (laughs) How big of a bucket is it? I'm not sure how much it holds. I would guess it could hold two gallons. That's a lot. I'm trying to think what size, because they do it maybe by pints. I can't remember exactly Mm. how they measure it, because I was reading some about what size you need for different square footage. Mm. We have sort of a medium-sized one. And the kids, as soon as they notice water, they want to empty it. So it's not getting full ever. Fair. (laughs) But just... Dumping out that water and knowing that it came out of the air, it's like magic. (laughs) (laughs) Or science. One of the two. (laughs) So it's been great to reduce the humidity in our house. And it was so great to find it for a third of the price on Craigslist right when we needed it. Awesome. What has been happening with you? I wanted to share a little bit about two stories that I've written in my professional life lately. So most of the science writing that I do is for this publication called The Scientist. And The Scientist has a magazine that comes out monthly. And then there's also an online news section. And most of the people who read The Scientist are life scientists. So most of the things that I write when I'm writing for the online news section tend to be pretty jargony and technical. And so I'm not necessarily excited to share with people outside of science world. Or other people might not be as excited to read it. Unless they're my mom or dad. (laughs) But I have had two assignments recently that were sort of science adjacent rather than actual science. So the first one is a story that I wrote about physicians who diagnose the subjects of art. Tell me more. So people who were painted in Renaissance paintings or whatever era of paintings a long time ago, often have characteristics that suggest that they have some kind of disease. Okay. And so there are physicians who do this, and some of them do it as a hobby, and some of them do it to sort of improve their diagnostic skills, and some of them do it because the subject of a painting is an actual historical figure, and so it can tell them something about that historical figure. And it was just really cool to find out, number one, that people do this and to talk to the people that are doing it because they have all kinds of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And then the second piece that I wrote was about how policies that limit international travel and immigration are going to affect scientific collaborations. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of uncertainty right now with things like the travel ban in the U.S. and with Brexit that it's not super clear how things are sort of going to shake out. So I talked to several scientists and some people involved in science policy just to see what they thought about it. And then I wrote about that. If listeners are interested in reading them, we can link to them. They should be much more accessible. 
than normal. Yeah, we'll definitely put those in the show notes so people can check it out. Okay, now let's talk about what we've been reading. Sarah, what have you been reading? Well, you and I both recently read The Bronze Bow by Elizabeth George Spear. Mm -hmm. And this one was for our virtual book club. It is a young adult book, and it won the Newbery Award in the early 60s, either 61 or 62. And it is set in the time of Jesus and follows the story of a young man named Daniel. And Daniel wants to avenge his father's death and fight against the Roman occupation. But he is also come to listen to Jesus and meet him and see him speaking Mm -hmm. and is intrigued by an alternative viewpoint that he is presenting and also confused by it Mm -hmm. because he feels like Jesus is also fighting against the Romans, but then not in the same way that he means. Right. So it's really a coming of age story. And it's about love and how you cannot be truly free if hatred is what is fueling your actions. The things I liked about the book are I really liked watching that internal struggle that he had and seeing how along the way he was often making these right choices, but from a bad motivation Mm -hmm. and how that evolved throughout the book. I also liked thinking about these Bible stories in a different way. Mm -hmm. I have read a lot of the Bible stories many times, but I had never considered what it would have meant to have an occupying force where you were living Mm -hmm. and how that would have felt. Mm -hmm. And this book did such a great job illuminating that. And in the future, when I'm reading the Bible, I will see it differently than I did before reading this book. Yeah. Along those same lines, it really struck me how people who were waiting for the king to bring the kingdom and kick the Romans out, Mm -hmm. the confusion that they would have had about this leader who was not here to fight. Right. I thought that was really embodied in Daniel, too. Mm -hmm. The things I didn't like about the book, it was hard for me to get into. Mm. I started it and then I went back to rereading Harry Potter (laughs) in preparation for this episode. Harry Potter is so good, though. It's not really (laughs) a fair fight with any other book. That is true. And then it was getting down to the wire that we were meeting in one or two days. And so then I sat down and read it. And once I was going, I wanted to see how the story finished, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't immediately engaging for me. I also found it really confusing about whether it was a religious book or not. Mm -hmm. And as I was going through, I kept thinking, this won the Newbery Award. I don't think that really goes to books that are in the Christian genre. I feel like that's more broad. And Mm -hmm. a lot of this feels broad because it's talking about love as the answer. It's not talking about Jesus as the son of God. Mm -hmm. And it's not promoting Jesus came here to save your soul. It's the way forward is to love one another and to love your neighbor, which feels universal. But the whole time I kept having that question of, how Christian is this book? I had similar questions in mind reading it because the way that the character of Jesus is described in the book, there's a lot of undertones of this is a divine being. Mm -hmm. It's sort of said Jesus is the son of God without outright saying Jesus is the son of God. Right. So would you recommend it, Sarah? I don't know that I would. It's not that I didn't enjoy the reading experience. I'm glad I read it for book club, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that it's something I think most people would be drawn to. Yeah. And I think I would have liked it more as a teenager. And I don't know if that's that YA is different now, that it feels like there's so much crossover with a lot of adults reading young adult literature. And so I don't know if it was written differently, where this really did feel more YA to me, where I thought this is such a good coming of age story and there's a lot to gain from it, but it just didn't strike the right chords with me. Yeah, I hear that. I think I would recommend it if you are someone who enjoys biblical fiction. Mm Mm-hmm. If that time period of historical fiction is something that really rings your bell, probably you'll like it. Agreed. What have you been reading? I actually have started a new mystery series, which is called the Maisie Dobbs series. And these are written by Jacqueline Winspear. And I heard about them recommended by one of our Instagram friends. Okay. And so I have listened to the first three books so far. And so Maisie is a young woman detective in London right after the First World War. 
it sounds really similar to the Flavia de Luce books, although oh. those are set right after World War II, not after World War One. But it's a young female protagonist in the UK. Solving crimes. Solving mysteries. Huh. So Maisie was a nurse in the war, but before that she was a servant. There's a lot of Maisie Dobbs personal stuff, both her history like that, but also her experience during the war and her love life. And then it's mixed in with all the mystery stuff. For the most part, I have really enjoyed them. The third book started to wear me out a little bit. So I'm taking a break from Maisie Dobbs right now. I really liked the first two readers and there have been three different readers for the three different books. And the third book had a reader that I didn't love. Mm. And then because I didn't love the reader, I sort of started to feel questionable about the character of Maisie and like, is she really likable? I'm not quite sure how I feel about them yet. So what is the tone of the books? Are they lighthearted? Because the Flavia de Luce ones are really, they just feel light because I'm not a big mystery fan mm. and I haven't gotten a sense yet. Like, are these dark mystery solving things? I mean, there is a little bit of murder and death. But for instance, she was just trying to find someone who was missing Okay. in one of the mysteries in the third one. So it's not super intense. But then sort of her recollections of the war and how looking for people and solving mysteries affects her can be a little bit of a downer. Okay. If mysteries aren't your favorite thing, like Sarah, I would not necessarily recommend this to you because they're not really escapist, Okay. which it sounds like Flavia Deleuze is. They are. And they have, I mean, every book she's solving a murder that happens. So I think because it's from the perspective of an 11-year-old girl, mm. it just has a different take on it than, for example, the ton of French books that I read that are murder mysteries. Right. Okay, let's switch gears to books that I'm much more excited to talk about than Maisie Dobbs. <laughs> the Harry Potter books. This is a series that we both love. And a warning for listeners that haven't read the books or seen the movies, there may be spoilers in this episode. So you might want to save this one for after you've read the books. So just hit pause, go get the books, <laughs> read all seven of them, and then come back and listen. We're going to start by talking a little bit about our personal histories with Harry Potter. So, Sarah, when did you first start reading the books? I started reading them Christmas break of our freshman year at Hendrix. And I had heard about the books when I was in high school, and I had a couple friends who were very into it. Mm -hmm. But to me at that point, I just thought I didn't like fantasy, which turns out... <laughs> To be false. So wrong. <laughs> but it was something that I didn't have a lot of experience with. And to me, I just thought, I don't want to read about witches and wizards and any of that. And so I just didn't read it. And then I got to Hendrix and Andrew was actually the one who told me, you really shouldn't write it off until you've at least tried to read them. Mm. And I thought, that's fair. So over Christmas break, I got the first two books and flew through those. Well, I would say on the first one, I don't feel like I flew through it. Mm -hmm. I was interested and I wanted to keep going. But I'm also someone who needs to know everything that's happening in the book. Like if there's a genealogy in the front or a map, I am going to be checking it every page, every time something new is listed so I can place that where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And so reading a book or a series like Harry Potter at first, there's just a lot you don't know. Right. And you have to keep reading to get all that information. It's so much introduction. So it felt like a lot of work to me, actually, to get through the first book. But I was intrigued. I wanted to move on to the second one. And then once I got to the third one, I was totally hooked. I came back from Christmas break. I think at that point, I might have been in the middle of the fourth one. And read the fourth and fifth ones. So those were all the ones that were out at that time, were one mm -hmm. through five. I so distinctly remember sitting in my chair in my dorm room, reading the fifth book. And there is the Department of Mystery scene. And then going back to Dumbledore's office afterward. And I'm crying. Mm -hmm. And it's so intense. And I remember you and some other friends coming to knock on the door because you were all going to lunch. And mm -hmm. I just straight up ignored you. I didn't even go to the door to say, no, I'm busy reading. I just thought, I can't even take a break for 30 seconds to talk to anyone because I'm so into what I'm reading. I love it. 
So I was skeptical of reading them at first, too. But that was because they were recommended by my grandma. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what does she know about what (laughs) I should be reading? But it turns out my grandma keeps the pulse on things pretty well, especially with books. And I think one and two were already out. And I don't have so specific of memories of starting to read them as you do, Sarah. But I do know that I read one, two, and then three came out. And I would say the third book for me is what really hooked me into the series. Mm -hmm. That's the point at which you've seen enough of these characters to really be invested in them. So after the third book, which was my favorite book for a really long time, I just felt completely hooked and completely invested. The third book is the point of no return. Right. That's what it was for me. Looking at the whole series now, I feel the same too. That the first two are fine, but it's Mm -hmm. once you get into the third that you're really in it and see the complexity and are invested, like you said. Right. So I went to midnight release parties for books four, five, six, and seven. Mm -hmm. I think the one that we went to together was for the sixth book. Mm -hmm. That's right. I just have really good memories of bonding over the books with you and with Andrew and with friends of mine from high school. So the community around Harry Potter is something that I have really appreciated in my life, Mm -hmm. not just my solo experience of reading them, but also the experience of other people loving the books as much as I do, if not more. And I think part of that is I really love talking about books and having that connection. And that's why I really enjoy being in book clubs and why I love talking about books with you. But a lot of the books I read, I don't know very many other people that have read them. Where with Harry Potter, you could talk about it with so many people and have that connection and get that perspective from different people. And I think that's really special because it is really fun, especially as they were coming out, to speculate with people and Mm -hmm. imagine what was going to happen and try and see the different clues from the earlier books. And Mm -hmm. it's a really unique reading experience to get to do that with other people. And I wish there were more series like that. Absolutely. And the only release party I went to was the sixth one with you because all the other ones were already out when I started reading. And then the seventh one, I was working in San Antonio and I just didn't have somebody to go with. And I wasn't very excited about going by myself to a release party. Plus, if you have to get up and work the next day, it's not as fun. And I don't know if I did. I might have had to work the next day. I remember walking across the street to the place where I bought the book Mm -hmm. and going the morning after, or maybe it was a day after. It might have been, I think, a little bit of time because I was working, but it was very empty at the time that I went. (laughs) And they had many copies everywhere. Another really special thing about Harry Potter for me is that I basically made it through graduate school listening to Jim Dale reading the Harry Potter audiobooks. Mm, They're so good. They are. I would start at the first book, listen all the way through, and graduate school was a lot of me being on a microscope or pipetting things at my lab bench, kind of doing mindless repetitive activities. Mm -hmm. And it was just really nice to have Jim Dale reading Harry Potter as my companion. So I have listened to almost all of them, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever listened to the seventh one. I've just read it. But how do you feel about the voice of Hermione? Hmm. I feel fine about it. Okay. I think for the most part, Jim Dale does really great with the voices. Mm -hmm. Do you have feelings about it? I do. It's the one character that when I'm listening to the books, I always think, oh, that's not how I imagine it. Hmm. And so much of it, I get really lost in him telling the story. Mm. And then whenever Hermione talks, I feel a little bit pulled out of it because it's not, it doesn't sound like her to me. Interesting. And I think that's just hard for a grown man to do a girl's voice Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't sound... Whiny. Yes. Yeah. Because she does (laughs) sound a little bit whiny as read by him, I think, which I'm sure was not the intention. Some of my memories of reading Harry Potter are around the fifth book, right after HP was born. Mm. And I just think of that as the book that got me back into reading after giving birth Mm -hmm. and just feeling overwhelmed and just in this different universe. Like it feels like everything 
stops except for what was happening in our house. Mm -hmm. You know, my world felt so small. And reading that book was the one that I feel like kind of drew me back out and made me want to read more again. And just it made me feel like myself again, I think, after having given birth in a way that I think has colored my view of the fifth book into making it one of my favorites, Hmm. which we'll get into more later. Hmm. It's really sweet. I also love that my son's initials are HP. (laughs) I love that too. We call him that sometimes. Mostly we obviously call him by his name, Mm -hmm. but it is not lost on us that the abbreviation for his name can also represent Harry Potter. I love it. But we did not name our son Harry Potter, (laughs) to be clear. Think what you want, listeners. I'm a very dedicated fan. (laughs) So we also have a kind of family member named after a Harry Potter character. Our dog is named Tonks. We had the name Tonks in mind before we even got our dog. Mm -hmm. So she was always destined to be a sign of our nerddom. (laughs) I do want to say one more thing before we move on to discussion of our favorite parts. Mm -hmm. I have two really beautiful pieces of Harry Potter art. That are made by our friend Katie, who designed our podcast logo and website header. I have a gorgeous paper cut that is a Weasley family tree that I got for Andrew for Christmas one year and had matted and framed. And then also when Plum was born, Katie sent an amazing quilt that is a quilt with words. And because she knew we were huge Harry Potter fans... The words are, I solemnly swear I'm up to no good. Mm, So good. It gives me chills thinking about how perfect it is. So listeners, if you are interested in having really beautiful, classy, Harry Potter related art, you should check out our friend Katie's website, yadykatespapercuts.com. And you also have that cross stitch, don't you? The alphabet cross stitch. Oh, yes. A dear friend made that for Plum, and it's little cross-stitch Harry Potter characters for all the different letters of the alphabet. I can't believe I didn't think of that, but yeah. So we have a lot of really fantastic Harry Potter art in our house. Now we're going to move on to a discussion of our favorite and not-so-favorite parts, but first we're going to start by ranking the books. Okay, I'm going to list them all, and then I'm going to group them. Okay. My favorites at the moment are five, six, three, seven, four, one, two. I think of five, six, and three as being in my top category, and then seven and four in the middle, and then one and two. Interesting. I feel like within that, like it's hard for me to really say, like, do I like the sixth or the fifth book better? Mm-hmm. I don't, well, I do like the fifth book better, but <laughs> some of them I feel like they're very, very close. Mm-hmm. Like six and three might be really close. And then I feel like there's kind of a step down. And seven and four are pretty close. Right. And then one and two are interchangeable to me. Yeah. What are yours? Four, seven, five, six, one, three, two. And I feel very strongly that four is my favorite. It was my favorite from the moment I read it. And it stayed my favorite through the whole rest of the series. I really love seven and how it wraps up. So those are very clear to me. I would say five and six are probably interchangeable. For a long time, I really didn't love five. I sort of used to hate how angsty Harry is Yes, throughout that whole book. But I think on a more recent reread, I felt much more empathetic toward him and much more like really horrible things happened to him right before this book, Mm -hmm. plus hormones. Yes. And I just felt really sympathetic. And I can see that you reading that fifth book, newly postpartum, like the really hard and big emotional stuff feels like it would feel good to read about someone else going through something like that. (laughs) Right. And I used to really not like the fifth book as well. Not not like it, but I was really irritated with Harry as I was reading it and mm-hmm. just felt like, why are you always in such a bad mood? Why are you doing so many stupid things? Right. I had a really hard time with him making these what seemed to me very obvious mistakes mm-hmm. and then having to watch it unfold into a mistake yeah. with very large consequences. And that was hard for me as a reader. And now that's something that I love about it mm-hmm. because especially when we're 15, 
we do a lot of stupid things and cannot see the picture clearly and are driven by our emotions and have trouble stepping back and seeing perspective. Mm -hmm. So now I find it so relatable and so honest. Mm -hmm. And part of what makes me love the series are people make mistakes and you can still move forward and have good come out of that. Mm -hmm. And that he is not perfect and he does have bad judgment. And that's part of it. That's part of the human experience. And I just feel like the fifth book so clearly addresses that. Mm -hmm. And also the way it describes his grief at the end when he's at Dumbledore's office Mm -hmm. is so beautiful to me. And that whole part of it of like seeing the arc of where his judgment took him. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just my favorite. Yeah. I wonder about reading it as a younger person, whether I was still too close to that. Mm -hmm. You know, still too close to sort of that like hot mess, emotion driven, right? not great decision making kind of thing. Because I think even through my mid 20s, I still tended toward that and that it was just too much a reflection of some aspects of my own life. I can see that. So six I love. And then one and three to me are interchangeable. I think getting through one wasn't the easiest at first, but I just so appreciate the first book for everything it has to do. And I think it stands up so well Mm -hmm. to sort of the beginning of this epic series that it makes me rank it higher. But I would say those are interchangeable. And then two is just not my fave. I still like it. I feel like it gets such a bad rap and Uh I still really enjoy reading too. Actually, this most recent reread, I did the whole series one through Mm -hmm. seven. And I think the reread I did before that, I started at three because I Mm. had memories of not liking one and two as much. And so I did three through seven and one and two were so much funnier than I remember and Mm. wittier than I remember and... I enjoyed them much more than I thought I would on this reread because I think in my head, I just thought those aren't as good as the later ones. And so coming back to them was actually quite pleasant. Nice. Why do you feel like three has dropped so much for you? Because you used to say it was one of your favorites. Yeah. I just think that the other ones were just so good Mm -hmm. because I really don't dislike it. It's still beloved. So one of my favorite scenes in the series is when Harry realizes that it's him, not his dad, who conjures Mm. the Patronus that saves Mm -hmm. them all. And it just brings tears to my eyes every time I read it. I just love that of that recognition that that power was inside him and Mm. that he didn't think it was and that he felt Mm -hmm. like he had to rely on someone else and knowing that he could do it. I just love it. And really, that is the scene that makes me rank the third book so high. That one scene. Yeah. And book number seven, which I rank lower than that. I think the end is excellent. Mm -hmm. I had a harder time with the middle sections. Yeah. I mean, I think the seventh book does meander a bit, Mm -hmm. but I rank seven so high because my favorite scene of all time of all Harry Potter's is the King's Cross scene with Harry and Dumbledore. What do you love so much about that? Because when I was reading that scene this last time, I was thinking this is Abby's favorite scene as I was reading it. And I was curious what draws you to it so much. I love the feeling of warmth and support from Dumbledore Mm -hmm. that he's like, you clever boy, you figured it out. I'm just so proud of you. And to think about Mm -hmm. as a parent, and I think in many ways, Dumbledore feels parental toward Harry. There's so much that we have to let our kids try on their own and fail and be hurt. And that for Harry, that's so much bigger because he has to play this role in the magical community. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he figures it out and that Dumbledore is just so proud of him is really incredible. I also like how it sort of ties things up in a neat way. Mm -hmm. And I know people have all kinds of problems with like, you know, well, that wouldn't work because this. Well, that wouldn't work because this. Mm -hmm. I like to read in sort of like a naive mind frame where I just go with it and I'm like take me on this ride and I feel like that is the destination of the ride Mm -hmm. is that conversation between them and then I love how much 
of it relies on Harry's choices too. So you were talking about him making not the best choices, Mm -hmm. but all of the choices have brought him to that moment. And then he chooses to go back empowered that if he goes back, probably this threat that has been hanging over him his whole life will be over and he'll get to live with this peace that he's never experienced before. My favorite part of that scene was when Dumbledore told him that very few people would have looked into the mirror of Irised and seen what he saw, Mm. which was his family Mm -hmm. and having people who love him present with him. Mm -hmm. I loved how that brought it back to the first book that from the beginning, Dumbledore saw that in him, even though he had a lot of stumbles along the way and knew that his heart was really pure. Mm-hmm. And that's what enabled him to defeat Voldemort all those times. Mm-hmm. What other favorite parts do you have, Sarah? I've already briefly mentioned this one, but the talk that Dumbledore has with Harry at the end of book five, mm-hmm. when he is grieving over Sirius mm-hmm. and the role that he has played in his death and the fact that he is no longer there and how Dumbledore handles that by just allowing him to be upset Mm -hmm. and I think that is so rare and it is a really special person who can let you feel all of those things and let it be and sit with it with you Mm -hmm. so often we're trying to fix their emotions and their problems and that's not what people need Mm -hmm. and I think that that scene just so beautifully illuminates the right response in the face of terrible tragedy Mm -hmm. and how to be with somebody Mm -hmm. I think Dumbledore is so good with tragedy because another Mm -hmm. of my favorite scenes is when he's giving the toast to Cedric at the end of the fourth book and I remember reading it and just sobbing Mm -hmm. and I love the words that the character says but I love that they're facing it That they're actually talking about it with these kids Mm -hmm. and letting them sit with it and not hiding it from them and engaging them in the grieving process and that kind of stuff. It's a similar kind of thing as he does one-on-one with Harry at the end of the fifth book. Right. So on a lighter note, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite scenes in the whole series is when Fred and George leave Hogwarts. So good. And they tell... Peeves to give her hell talking about Umbridge (laughs) and then Peeves salutes them as they fly out I just love it the first time I read it another reason I had issues with the fifth book was it was hard for me to read about Professor Umbridge and how terrible she was she's so horrible Uh, and I think thinking back to being a teenager too and then having somebody who is an authority figure in your life but who is evil and doing Mm -hmm. wrong but you're powerless to fight that and then seeing Fred and George fighting it just that whole scene it gives me chills I think it's funny but it's also really powerful yeah part of that scene is them putting a giant swamp Mm -hmm. in one of the corridors in the school Mm -hmm. and then eventually you know Umbridge is gone or whatever and Flitwick is clearing up the swamp and he can do it you know in a hot minute because he's the charms teacher or whatever but he leaves a little bit of the swamp there as a memorial to Fred and George Mm -hmm. because he says it was a really good bit of magic. (laughs) And I love that it's not just that Fred and George are the jokers, right? Mm -hmm. They're actually really powerful, talented wizards, but they use their power for this lightness and joy. Hermione comments on that, maybe in the fifth book when they're starting to get all of their stuff ready for their own shop. And she's like, this is really complicated, you know, that she is admiring the difficulty of what they're doing, even though she doesn't approve. (laughs) Right. Another thing I love about the books is just how complicated it is when it comes to prejudice Mm -hmm. and groups liking and not liking each other. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy for people to be opposed to somebody saying mudblood. I think it's similar to how in our culture, it's easy to say, oh, I'm not racist. Racism is bad. Right. But then not looking inward at the kind of systemic racism that is present in our society mm-hmm. and within each person. Yeah. And Ron and Hagrid hate when they hear Hermione being called a mudblood, mm-hmm. but they have no problem looking down on other groups like house elves. Right. And, oh, well, they're just meant to serve us. Oh, they just think differently. And thinking about the parallels to our own society and how 
there are some things that feel easy to say you're opposed to, but then there are so many ways that our society is unjust and that people are being oppressed that are easy to accept as a whole and that it's much harder to turn that mirror inward. Yeah, I really like that too. So this most recent reread is the first one I have done since becoming a parent. Mm -hmm. And it feels so different to read them now, especially those early ones. I thought a lot more about what his parents were thinking Yes, as it happened and a lot more about what Molly Weasley was thinking Mm -hmm. and just seeing it differently than I did before. Yeah, we recently rewatched the third movie. And that's the one where Harry's having all the flashbacks Mm -hmm. and they actually show things like his mom dying and him as a baby Mm -hmm. in the movie in a really vivid way, I think, that doesn't even happen in the book. And Andrew and I were just losing it. You know, I've never reacted like that before. And it's because of becoming a parent, you can't help but imagine what that would be like to be his mom or to be his dad. Exactly. Okay, I think we could talk about our favorite parts for a million years. Mm -hmm. We could. But let's move on and talk a little bit about Potter-related things. So let's talk about the movies first. Sarah, do you like and watch the movies? I feel sort of eh about the movies. Mm -hmm. I watched the first and second one with you at Hendrix. And we ate pints of ice cream. A lot of food. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been more full in my life than I was the day that we watched the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> I have seen all the movies except for the two seventh ones. Mm. Seven, book seven, part one and two. And I have not seen the fifth one. Hmm. And I think part of that is Neil's influence that we went to see the sixth movie together and with some friends. And he told me, I don't really love to see the movies because I think it takes away the images that I've created in my mind mm. of the book. And that then my images are supplanted by the ones from the movie. Hmm. And I thought, interesting. And I started reflecting back on it. And now when I read the earlier books, I do have a lot of images from the movies there. Hmm. Where the fifth book and the seventh book, they do feel different to me reading them Hmm. because I haven't seen the movies. And I want to preserve that. So I don't know that I ever will see those movies. Interesting. I'm also not a big movie person. I watch very few movies. If I am doing screen media, I'm usually watching television shows. Sure. So I think that's part of it, that movies aren't a huge part of my life. I will say that my favorite movie watching experience was watching the fourth movie. That was when I was studying abroad in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of the other international students that loved Harry Potter, we all went to the neighboring town where they have a larger movie theater that was opening at midnight or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And so we all went there. There was a huge crowd. We got there early to make sure we could get seats. And then the theater splits between the dubbed version and the English version. And Mm -hmm. we were the only people who went to the English version. (laughs) (laughs) At least the only people who were there early. More people came in. Sure. Not hours early to get the good seats or whatever we were doing. That's so funny. I just have a good memory of connecting with other people in this really different environment about Harry Potter and... It was just such a fun night. And I do think that is a really fun movie to see. Yeah. So Andrew and I like the movies and have been to midnight releases for most of them. And I do think the fourth movie is one of the best ones just because the Quidditch World Cup is so awesome. Mm -hmm. So we rewatched that one a good amount. We watched three a good amount. And then we also like to watch the seventh movie, the second part. I don't like the seventh movie, the first part. Because it's just depressing. Like there's no good resolution Mm -hmm. in a similar way to the seventh book kind of meanders as they're trying to find things. Mm -hmm. They're just hungry and sad and mad at each other. I think part of my problem with the seventh book too is the Hallows thing just Mm -hmm. comes in in that book. I don't know. It feels like too much to be putting in as you're wrapping up all these other things. And then there's this whole new thing you have to figure out. I found that frustrating. Yeah, I think a lot of readers did. But like I said, I'm the childlike. Just take me along for the ride, JK. So let's talk about other Potter-related media. Have you read Harry Potter and the Cursed Child? I did. I read it last summer. And I liked it. I loved being back in that world. Mm -hmm. Reading Harry Potter to me is just so fun. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt when I was reading that book. 
I don't know that it's something that I'm going to come back to as often as the original series, Mm -hmm. but I think I approached it more the way you were describing of just, I'm just going in and enjoying this. I'm not going to pick it apart. I'm not going to obsess over whether this would or wouldn't have happened. Right. I would love to see it in the theater. Ooh, I I would too. That would be amazing. Yeah. I feel really similarly about that, that I really enjoyed reading it. It was awesome to see what was going on. I love that Hermione is the Minister of Magic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least in one of the storylines. And I agree. I think it would be incredible to see it on stage. Okay, how about Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? I watched it. I feel pretty neutral about it. It was just a fun outing with a friend here in town Mm -hmm. and it's actually the first movie I've seen in a theater since I saw the sixth movie a decade earlier almost. (laughs) Wait, the first movie or the... Watching Fantastic Beasts was the first movie I'd seen in a theater since I watched the sixth Harry Potter movie (laughs) in theater. (laughs) So I just don't watch very many movies, but it was fun. I feel pretty neutral about it. I don't know that I'll ever watch it again. Hmm. What about you? I found it to be more whimsical than the Potters. Mm -hmm. And it was really fun going in, not knowing what was going to happen. So being in the wizarding world, Mm. but not having an idea of what the outcome of the story was going to be. That was pretty fun. I liked that too. And we have the Blu-ray. So we've watched it a bunch of times. Oh, okay. All right. Let's talk about Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, which is a podcast that we love. We love it. You're the one who turned me on to it. And I heard about it from Kelsey of the Girl Next Door podcast. Okay. It is just amazing. It is two former divinity students Mm -hmm. from Harvard. Mm -hmm. And every episode is a different chapter of the book. So they start book one, chapter one. And right now they're partway into the third book. Mm -hmm. They tell a story related to the theme they do a recap of the chapter, mm-hmm. and then they dive into the a theme they picked. So they'll say, we're reading this chapter through the theme of heartbreak. And mm-hmm. then we'll explore what does heartbreak mean? How does it appear in the text? How does that apply to our own lives? And then they do a sacred practice, which is like a different way of looking at the text. And then they end with a blessing for one of the characters. Mm-hmm. I just think it is really well done. Mm-hmm. It brings me back to my days as a religion major at Hendrix and the way of looking at something and taking it seriously and the emotions that you have with it seriously. And I think they talk about that in the very first episode. Like, what would it be like to read Harry Potter as a sacred text and mm-hmm. not just as a fun kids book, but as something that can instruct us about our own lives Mm -hmm. and at the end of every episode I want to be a better person and a more compassionate person and I just really love it yeah we're not going to church right now and so having a weekly sort of time to reflect on life through the lens of a series that I really love but like you said taking it seriously and Treating it as sacred is just really awesome. And I have kept up with the podcast, so I listen to it, you know, as soon as it comes out. I really appreciate their perspective. They're not overtly religious, like they're proselytizing and, Mm -hmm. you know, reading Harry Potter like I'm Jewish and I'm reading Harry Potter about what it can tell me about my Judaism. It really is taking a secular text and applying it to your life. It's what does this tell me about being human, right? As opposed to what does this tell me about God and who God is? Exactly. And I really love it. And I love them. I find them to be very likable and entertaining. Mm -hmm. And I love how they bring in elements of social justice and they talk about their own privilege a lot Mm -hmm. and just push me to think about the text and my own life in a really meaningful way. Agreed. So I think we're going to finish talking about Harry Potter by sharing some of our favorite quotes. Sarah, you love quotes. So this category is really for you. (laughs) So why don't you start and we'll just alternate reading and we'll read the quote, say who said it and say what book it's from. Sounds good. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. Mm. And that is Dumbledore when he's awarding the points at the end of book one, referring to Neville, who tried to stop Hermione, Ron, and Harry from going to the Philosopher's Stone. 
Of course it's happening inside your head, Harry. But why on earth should that mean that it is not real? So this is the very last line of the King's Cross chapter in book seven. And Harry has just asked Dumbledore, is this happening in my head or is this real? It's our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. And that is Dumbledore talking to Harry at the end of book two, after he has come out of the Chamber of Secrets. And I believe that was in reference to why the Sorting Cat said that he would be good in Slytherin, but still put him in Gryffindor because... Harry didn't want to be in Slytherin. Right. I am what I am, and I am not ashamed. Never be ashamed, my old dad used to say. There's some who will hold it against you, but they're not worth bothering with. So this is Hagrid telling Harry a story about his dad when it's come out in the fourth book that Hagrid is half giant. I just love that that is what Hagrid holds on to about his life. Mm -hmm. I love Hagrid as a character, the deep love he has for Harry and the care he takes of him and how he is so loving. Remember if the time should come when you have to make a choice between what is right and what is easy. Remember what happened to a boy who is good and kind and brave because he strayed across the path of Lord Voldemort. Remember Cedric Diggory. And that's the speech that Dumbledore gives at the end of book four. Yeah. And my favorite bit of that is when it says, talks about the choice between what is right and what is easy. And I feel like there are so many things that when you're reading through the books, what I love is that it is hard for characters to make these right choices, that it isn't always intuitive for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very true for all of us, that we'd like to think that we would always be the one to stand up for what is right, but it isn't easy. Yeah. The thing about growing up with Fred and George, said Jenny thoughtfully, is that you sort of start thinking anything's possible if you've got enough nerve. <laughs> and this is in the fifth book, when Harry wants to talk to Sirius and he wants to use Umbridge's fire because it's the only one in the castle that's not being monitored by her. And so Jenny's like, sure. I'll just create a distraction and you can do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And Harry, I think, is kind of surprised by it. I love what it says about family and what it says about what a badass Ginny is. Yes. And her evolution throughout the books that she goes from being this timid, scared little girl to being one of the people out there willing to risk it all. Mm -hmm. Well, on the same note, in book five, there's the quote I've already talked about, which is probably my favorite from the whole series, which is... <laughs> Give her hell from us, peeves. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love it. <laughs> so good. This isn't a favorite quote, but it is. It would be if I had the book in front of me. <laughs> but another favorite scene of mine talking about family and what Ginny had learned from her brothers mm -hmm. is the scene with Percy when he comes back Ugh, right so at the beginning good. of the Battle of Hogwarts. And he has just been terrible to his family for years at this point. And then... Being willing to admit that he was wrong and to say that in front of all of his family and then to be embraced by them is just really beautiful. And I think he says something like, I was wrong and I was a huge prat. And one of the twins is like, can't say righter than that and like just shakes his hand and he's right back in. Yes. And it's Fred who does that. Yeah. I love what it says about family, that you can make a lot of mistakes with your family and have them still embrace you. Mm-hmm. I think with that, we're going to wrap up Harry Potter. Let's talk about what we've been eating. I am not talking about a recipe. I haven't been cooking anything new, but I have to share with you guys about this amazing buffalo chicken biscuit that I had. So right before our virtual book club on Saturday morning, I needed to finish reading the book. And so Andrew did baby duty and I went and got a biscuit and read the book and it was a really fun morning. The biscuit was fried chicken dipped in buffalo sauce, shaved celery and blue cheese dressing. It was incredible. It sounds amazing. I love a good biscuit. Yeah, I love a good biscuit too. And buffalo flavor things. Mm -hmm. What have you been eating, Sarah? So tonight we made chickpea coconut soup, which has been a standby of mine for a long time. 
It is a recipe I think my mom got from our local paper. I will I love that. retrace the source. But I think there were three one blender soups that you could make. And this was one of them. Nice. So you just put everything in the blender and then heat it up. So it's very simple. It's chickpeas, coconut milk, salsa, vegetable broth. The spices are garam masala, coriander, ginger. And then I think it calls for apple juice concentrate, like a small amount in Mm. order to make it sweet. Okay. I never put that in because I never have it. Sure. Oh, and then a bunch of cilantro. Yeah. It feels great for the summer. Like it's a lighter soup Mm -hmm. and you cook the chickpeas if you're doing so in the Instant Pot or you just use a couple cans. I love that it's something I can put together really, really fast and we usually have the ingredients for it on hand. I think it tastes really good cold too. With the cilantro, it has a much lighter feel to it. Yum. About what color is it? It's light tan with green flecks. And I also really like to serve it with plain yogurt on top. Mm. It's really delicious. That does sound good. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. We would love to hear from you about Harry Potter and what books you love, what scenes you love, anything you want to talk about. Your favorite quotes. Mm-hmm. We obviously love to talk about it. You can join the conversation online at friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. Yeah, let's just cut that. I don't think I had a good point. I just like that it's complicated. I mean, we're going to have to cut some of this because we're already at 55 minutes. So, (laughs) And all of what we're saying is so interesting. I know. Okay, now let's talk about what V... <laughs> let's. It doesn't turn, or I don't think it turns like a brownish color, you know, grayish weird. It still looks edible for sure. Maybe we'll just <laughs> cut that. I'm not sure. That's I don't think really the conversation good. we want to be having about <laughs> the soup you're suggesting. We don't know what country. We We both read it. We have no idea. Where did Jesus live? (laughs) No one knows. It's a mystery. Capernaum. (laughs) The religion major also doesn't know.